Hi, this is Maliha. Hi, this is Bana. And we are the co-hosts of Quaff Alumni Spotlight Series. This podcast features Quaff alumni who have built successful careers in finance and explores their experiences that have ultimately landed them where they are today. Queen's University Alternative Asset Fund, or Quaff, is currently Canada's only student-run alternative asset investment fund. Managed exclusively by Queen's students and overseen by faculty and industry professionals, the Quaff portfolio holds both public and private alternative investment strategies. Quaff is designed to provide students with hands-on experience focused on providing exposure to the investment industry, alternative strategies, and portfolio management. Through the engagement of alumni, current members, and industry professionals, Quaff has established itself as an invaluable educational opportunity for Queen's students. Today we have Will Wang with us, who used to be part of Quaff and has made a valuable impact on Quaff as a whole. He originally grew up in Beijing, China, and then went to the United States for university. He studied accounting at Penn State. Upon graduation, worked at Deloitte doing audit. After one year at Deloitte, he was unable to obtain the H-1B visa and therefore had to move back to China. It's really at that time that he decided that he was going to come to Canada and join the full-time MBA program at Queen's. The MBA program provided a great opportunity to explore a different career path for him. He then focused on learning more about the finance industry and eventually landed a job at Scotiabank within investment banking. He spent three years at Scotia covering TMT and healthcare companies and was involved in a few M&A debt and equity financing deals. He then became very interested in PE and luckily landed a job thereafter with ClearSpin Capital Partners where he is at now. Clearspin is one of Canada's leading private equity firms with a focus on helping mid-market companies grow to be leaders in their industries. His job includes evaluating new investment opportunities and managing existing portfolio companies. He's had a great experience there so far and we're really excited to talk to him today. Bull, thank you so much for being here with us today. How are you doing? I am good. How are you? Doing well, thank you. So let's get started with some general questions about Queens and Cloth. So why the Queens MBA program? Queens MBA. When I went to school in the U.S. for my undergrad, and then I, I studied accounting, and I got a job at Deloitte. I worked at Deloitte in their audit department in Philly for about a year. After a year, unfortunately, I didn't get the H-1B, which is the U.S. work visa, so I had to leave. I moved back to China. I, I grew up in China. I was born and raised in China. So I, I moved back to China. That's when I decided to come to Canada, and then. I went to a Canadian MBA fair in Beijing. That's when I met Shay Dubai. He was the MBA director at that time. So we had a really good conversation. I also met alumni at that event who were very helpful. And I did some research. Queens is a great school in Canada, and the MBA program is one year, which was very important to me because I want to get back to work as quickly as possible. So eventually, I chose Queens and moved to Canada and just joined Queens. And then, at what point did you write the GMAT and get the 99th percentile? Congratulations, by the way.、Uh, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, so I I did that after I moved back to China. So I moved back, I would say, mid of July 2014. And at that time, I wasn't working, so I, I had a month just focused on study. It took me months to study, and then I wrote the GMAT. I think I I got pretty lucky to get that score. I don't really think that's based on luck. That's <laughs> based on a lot of hard work. So I was just gonna say that myself. Yeah, yeah, great job. I mean, you should essentially be teaching the GMAT at this point. If we ever have any questions about exams, Malia, we we know who to go to now. 
With your transition going from the U.S. back to China and then here to Canada, what were some things that you found challenging with that journey? When I first came to Canada, I for I never realized because I'm not Canadian, so don't don't take offense at this. I never realized how different Canada is from the U.S. And so when I first came to Canada, I quickly realized how small the market is and how protected everything is. And I, I remember even just something. I remember when I first went to Kingston, I was trying to get a phone number. I went to Rogers, and the Rogers guy said, "You need two pieces of ID." But I said, "Sure, I have my passport. You know, what about a driver's license? I don't have a Canadian driver's license. I just came here. Like, I have my Chinese passport. I'm a student here." But he he wouldn't give me、uh, my SIM card. I had to buy a prepaid. But at that point, I quickly realized how how different Canada is from the U.S. But at the same time, I, when I moved to Toronto, I also realized. Toronto is a great city, and I think how the diversity and how accommodating to different culture Canada is. So, which has been great for me so far. That's amazing. I can't believe that he didn't give you <laughs> your SIM card. I hope that you went back and complained. So then, once you were at Queens, how did you hear about Quaff? What made you want to get involved with Quaff? For me, the MBA was a great opportunity to explore a different career path. For me, I have an accounting background, but I didn't necessarily have finance backgrounds.、So、I Found out about Quaff just through the the program, the MBA program.、Um, I think it was a great way for me to gain some exposure to asset man- management, to investment industry. So I decided to get involved with Quaff. Then I become a portfolio manager.、Uh, it, it has been a great experience. I remember I got to network with Quaff alumni. There was industry professionals. I was. We had an event in Toronto. There was a lot of asset managers, was hedge fund managers that I talked to, who have been very helpful. And also Peter, who's had a very successful career. He was a mentor to all all of us. He's he's always very helpful. He always tries to help the students find jobs, make connections, and introduce to、uh, to different people. Quaff has been a great experience for me. That's awesome. So, what would you say that your greatest professional achievement is so far, other than ninety nine percentile? <laughs> to me, I think my professional achievement so far is coming to Canada, find a job in investment banking, and then eventually move to private equity and land the job where I am today. I moved here by myself, and also English is not even my first language. So being able to do all of that in the second language, I think that's my greatest achievement so far. For sure. So you mentioned that you're passionate about running. Tell me more about this. My dad is a runner. I wasn't always passionate about running, but I think it was two years ago. It was the first time I actually ran a 10k. I did the one in Toronto. I forgot the name.、Uh, it was a 10k race. I did actually pretty well, considering I never run a 10k before. I run in under 44 minutes. Since the shutdown, I became really passionate about running, and I set a goal for myself was just to run a half marathon. So I actually ran a half marathon a couple of weeks ago. That was my first half marathon. I've been Training. I probably now my training is not that much. I run maybe four times a week. My next goal is running 10k under 40 minutes, which is is tough, but I'm working hard to、uh, to achieve that. Wow, that's amazing. Did you find that with your first half marathon, there was a point where you hit that you were like, "Oh, I don't know if I can get through this." You yeah, know, it was definitely harder harder than I expected because I was running by myself around the eighteen nineteen kilometers mark. It was very tough. I I knew I did enough training and I I knew I could do it, so I just pushed myself and、uh, finished it. 
I like that. Trusting your training. Let's talk a little bit about your transition from accounting to private equity. So you started in an audit role at Deloitte and then you moved mm-hmm. to Scotiabank in two roles mm-hmm. in their investment banking division in technology, media, and telecom and healthcare. And mm-hmm. then in 2018, you transitioned to where you are now with ClearSpring as an associate. So tell us more yep. about these transitions. From accounting to investment banking was more a forced transition. As I mentioned earlier, I was forced to leave county. I actually wanted to stay a little longer, but unfortunately, I couldn't get a work visa, so I had to, to leave the U.S. So when I uh, do my MBA program, that's when I became very interested in investment banking. I have some friends who work at Wall Street, who still work in New York doing finance. So I became really interested in the industry and luckily I got a job at Scotia doing investment banking. After a couple of years in investment banking, I became very interested in private equity and, and the transition from investment banking to private equity. To me, investment banking is very transaction driven. You kind of move on after transaction close. You don't really get to see what happens after. In private equity, you also execute transaction. But to me, the hard work begins after the transaction close, after you make the investments. You actually need to work very hard with the portfolio companies to achieve your investment thesis and actually achieve the return you have hoped. So the second part of private equity really, really excites me. And I think that's what drives me move from investment banking to private equity. That's kind of interesting. I've I've actually heard the same things from doctors that they'll they'll treat someone, but then they don't know how it turns out. They don't know if that person is better forever, or if they just moved away and got treated by someone else. That's really awesome that you get to actually see it through farther. For sure, because in in private equity, you're the owner, right? You have to work hard with the portfolio companies and help them grow to the next level of success and you can make returns for your investors. To me, that this whole process is very rewarding. Absolutely. The companies that you're working with, you said that you work with mid-cap companies. Tell me more about the types of companies that these are. Yeah, sure. So a little bit about, I guess, the firm I'm with right now. The name is ClearSpring Capital Partners. We are a, one of the leading Canadian private equity firms that focus on the mid-market space. In terms of the industry we look at, I would say we're pretty industry agnostic. So we pretty much look at everything except for, say, mining and real estate. I think given the Canadian private equity market is much smaller than the U.S. I think it's very common for the mid-market firms to be more general instead of focusing on a few industries. There are a few that definitely, for example, focus on healthcare than well in Toronto, but I think majority of mid-market private equity firms are are all more or less industry agnostic. And in terms of company size, we will look at company range from 5 million to 50 million EBITDA. That's for us, our equity check will be anywhere between 20 to 50 million. It can even go up to 200 million if we bring in our co-investors. Wow, that's quite the achievement. So what's your ultimate career goal and how do your experiences so far tie into this? Right now, I would say my ultimate career goal is to stay in private equity. I think I've had a good experience and I'm really happy about where I am and I'm really happy with the team. So I'm I'm working hard to advance my career. Love it. That's awesome. So we all know how quickly the financial industry is changing and how it affects our future career prospects. Tell me a little bit about the trends that you see in investment banking and the private equity spaces. I think investment banking is getting harder and harder. The few trends I've seen 
for example, there in the U.S., you see more and more companies go direct listing versus go the traditional go to the investment banks, have book runners to do an IPO, go direct listing, which means there are less fees for the investment banks. So I think that makes it harder for banks to generate revenue. And also to me with the technology improvement, I think the more junior role investment banking or some, some of the more data crunching tasks could potentially be automated. Again, that maybe means less junior roles in investment banking. So I think that's what's the technology improvement I've experienced. And productly, I think the trend the technology is more on when, whenever we look at a new investment, whenever we assess potential risk is how technology can disrupt this industry and what potential risks technology can have on this industry, on the potential investment on the company in particular. So I think from a private equity perspective, it is more to analyze the industry and how technology impacts a certain industry. Okay. That's a really interesting point that you're bringing up about the technology and how it can disrupt the industry. The technology that you're seeing in the banking industry in China versus here, what are some differences that you're seeing and are you seeing potentials that are already starting to evolve there that could become quite large here? I think e-commerce is so, I would say, is more advanced in China than here. I would expect e-commerce will continue to experience very, very fast growth. There's a lot of different payment yeah. platforms that are used there, yeah. right? Yeah, yes. I just found out today that apparently you can transfer money on WeChat easier yes. than anything else. And that actually kind of blew me away. And I was like, oh, yeah. I wonder like, how much fraud happens. And they were like, no, none. Yeah, WeChat actually, I think it, it becomes... It becomes essential in, in China. Like in my parents, when they go downstairs grocery shop or any street vendors, everybody uses WeChat to pay process payments. My mom doesn't really carry her wallets anymore. I think that's something, it blows my mind too. So for sure, I think in the future, I think here in this part of the world, we're going to see similar trends. Yeah. Well, even with me, like I pay for things with my watch even. Like in my time that I had working for a bank, the amount of fraud that I saw was quite high. And so it's interesting that these other platforms have been able to enforce security really quite effectively. Do you have to go back very often to China? I try to go back once a year. This past January, I actually went back to China. But right after I landed, that's when they announced the shutdown of Wuhan. And now we quickly realized how serious the things were. So I essentially stayed at my parents' place for four days, didn't go anywhere, and then changed my flight and just came back. So I was only in China for four days. At least you got to see them. That's really too bad, though, because I've heard that flights are very expensive to go there and back. Yes, I, I, I remember when I was looking to change my flight back, there was only four tickets left on Air Canada direct from Beijing to Toronto. They were close to $10,000 Canadian each. I eventually flew Eva Air I had to go to Taiwan for Taipei first and then back to Toronto. But it was wow. definitely a great Quite the journey. Yeah. yeah, no kidding. Tell me a little bit about what you personally look for in investment. I would say definitely, I think I'm more conservative. I, when I look at investment, definitely prefer the companies with gener- generate good cash flows. Ideally, it's the industry leader because we 
this is actually our one of our investment criteria for, for our fund. There's a Bain study that the top two industry leaders will capture some 80% of the, the profit of the total industry. So being an industry leader is pretty important. Then have a very good management team. So in my job, I've worked closely with CEOs, CFOs, and it is crucial to have good management teams. And it is a disaster when you don't have a have good management team. So I think a very aligned and good management team is, is very important for the company. Will, what does your typical day look like in private equity versus what your typical day looks like in investment banking? They're very different. It actually, in both, in both investment banking and private equity, I wouldn't say there's a typical day. Every day is different. Um, I think that's one thing I like about the industry. You're always learning or doing something new or different, which is very exciting for me. So my typical day in private equity, it depends on what my job at the moment. It could be portfolio management, which I will have calls with the CFO of the portfolio companies, the CEO of the portfolio companies. I could be on Excel for a couple of hours, help the management team run some financial analysis, help them stress test, for example, the cash flow forecast, leverage ratio, et cetera, and help them prepare presentations for the banks, for the board, for potential investors, potential new investors. Then when I work on a new platform deal, then my day would be, I would say, spend more time using Excel, build financial models, doing financial analysis, financial diligence. And also, I read a lot of legal documents. Uh, I was actually really surprised coming to private equity, how much legal knowledge you need to have. I was joking with my friend who's a corporate lawyer at Castles that I'm a half lawyer. I read a lot about, uh, you, you have to read a lot of different shareholders' agreement, employment agreement, uh, shareholders' agreement, etc. So there's a lot of legal documents you need to review. Uh, sometimes you have to draft these agreements as well. So I describe a lot of things. That's why I said there's no typical day because uh, every day is different. Uh, investment banking, the typical day would be look at the meetings we have booked in the next coming while and figure out, help the senior people to build pitch books. Um, that's when we put pitch for, for potential ideas. And when then you're in deal execution mode, then the range from help the clients build models, prepare documents for the data room to manage the data room, contact potential buyers, or meet with, even inside the bank, meet with different departments of the banks. For example, corporate banking, um, equity capital market, debt capital market, depends on the deal you work on, whether it's debt financing or equity financing. So again, the days, every day is different as well. Because investment banking is more, clients servicing so it's kind of like what we can do to help the client so to sometimes come up with ideas or potential m a ideas for for clients as well so as you can see those completely different jobs investment banking private equity although they're very similar skill set that can be applied in both but in my view those are completely different jobs so when are you writing your LSAT? <laughs> I don't think that will happen anytime soon. <laughs> you'll get 100%. You'll be teaching it. You'll be fine. No, it's, it's actually kind of funny. I've talked with a couple of people who are in different like investment banking roles and private equity roles. And there are a couple who are actually 
either considering or are going back for their JD. Interesting. I know I know a few people who are JD who are lawyers and then became investment bankers or were very successful investment mm-hmm. bankers, very senior. We're also well, there's some lawyers who actually become very successful investment investors, very successful in private equity as well. But um, this is actually the first time I'm the other way around. So, what's one of the most difficult moments that you've had in your in your job at private equity? I'm hitting you with the hardballs here, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think one of the more difficult moments is when you work very hard to try to get a deal done, but then the deal fell apart for the reasons that beyond your control. I think to me that is very hard, but it happens in this industry. It will continue to happen. It's hard, but it is reality. It's industry, so you just have to deal with it. Yeah, that would be frustrating for sure. With the investment banking role that you had at Scotia Bank, you did some work with yep. within healthcare. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? So when I first started at Scotia, my team essentially was only covering TMT, technology and telecom. But then we, after I was there for about a year, we hired a new head of the group from a different bank, and he used to cover TMT and healthcare at the other bank. So when he came over, he started to essentially continue his coverage in healthcare. So our team became TMT and healthcare. There was actually a healthcare deal, Mexico, that we were an advisor for a sell-side mandate and were successfully sold a minority stake to a private equity firm. That was a very cool experience, but too bad I don't speak Spanish. So there were some of the meetings I had completely no idea what was going on. But other than that, it was, uh, it was a great experience. <laughs> I guess you can't really chime into the, me- the meeting being like, tequila! <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, that's really cool. Do you miss aspects of IB very much at all? Or are you just like, whenever you think back to it, you're just like, oh, thank God, that's the best. No, I don't miss it. <laughs> I no. don't miss it. I really like what <laughs> I do now and uh, I really enjoy what I do now. Love it. Love it. Well, you're definitely a very good advocate for it. I've, I've talked with no. yourself and another private equity guy, and I'm just like, hmm, mm-hmm. maybe I should look at a private equity. Yeah, no, you should. <laughs> it is a good career path. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Maybe just an advice for the students or even people who are interested in investment banking or private equity. This is a piece of advice that I, I guess I wish I knew when I first started in investment banking it's actually to take care of yourself because when you work 80 to 100 hours a week do that consistently it definitely takes a toll on yourself when i first started i didn't think it was a big deal and obviously there's a lot of late nights and even you pull nighters but eventually it takes a toll on yourself so my advice to the, the students or future or people who are interested in this industry is make um, sleep a priority, make sure you get enough sleep and make sure you exercise, take care of yourself first before anything. I I really appreciate you seeing that. Yeah, same actually. And you're talking to Brenna who, you know, advocates for a book called Why We Sleep. And it's essentially a book that talks exactly about what you're saying that you have to prioritize your sleep because it absolutely is something that impacts, you know, everything about your day, about your life. And I yeah, think 100%. when you're young, especially like the the culture around work is that, you know, you just grind and yeah. uh, everything else becomes secondary. And no one ever looks back at their 20s, their 30s, their 40s, whatever decade 
and says, I'm so happy I work so much. So thanks exactly. for saying that. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's something we'll definitely pass on as sentiments to the respective sort of cohorts that we're part of and part of our program and let them know that that's something that's really important. Yeah, I couldn't have thought about it myself. You were shaking, or sorry, you were nodding your head when Malika was talking about why we sleep. I presume that you read it? No, but, but well, I've heard of it, but I think okay. it's, it is very important. And I think uh, you don't realize how important sleep is. Sometimes people only realize what's important when, when you lose something. <laughs> so hopefully more people will know before it's too late to realize that. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's not you sleep when you're dead. It's you don't you don't sleep when you're alive. <laughs> Might get there sooner. <laughs> so if you don't actually mind me asking a little bit more about this particular line of thoughts that we're on, like what are some things that you're noticing within the culture that are maybe maybe are starting to shift, such as the importance of sleep? Yeah. Is that something that is starting to be recognized more? I remember this is what my second or third year in uh, Scotia. Uh, we the, the banks actually have taken. I think not only Scotia, all the banks will have taken the work-life balance initiative a little bit more seriously. And we had, I remember, we had implemented protected Saturdays, so nobody should come into the office on Saturday unless it's absolutely necessary. You need your group had approval if you have to be in the office on Saturday. So not necessarily people focus on sleep directly, but people definitely focus on, you know, just the physical and mental health of the employees. And then is this also starting to transfer over to even family life? So people who have kids, they're not getting looked down upon if they're leaving to go to their kids play or something. I, I didn't have kids when I was at Scotia, but now I have I have a young young daughter. She's only she's almost eighteen months. Wow. But yeah. I would say it is. Uh, well, luckily, at my current firm, we're a very small team, and the culture is very good, and people respect each everyone and understands everyone has a personal life. So whenever you really have things to do at home, and everyone respects that, so nobody will look down, or nobody would say, "Oh, you have to do work for us." Uh, people are very respectful and understanding. Oh, that's awesome. So even like the culture differences between Scotia Bank and Clearspring, it's quite a lot of a difference. I would say it is very different because Social Bank being a very big organization and ClearSpring, right now we have in total nine people. So it, it is, for me, it was a big change. And also, I think just given the different industry, being investment banking, being more client-facing, so there's a little bit more pressure and you have to provide advice to clients. Sometimes it's more you know, time-sensitive, but being private equity, most of the time you're a decision-maker, so you can manage your time a little better. So I think just given the, the two different industry, private equity probably have a little bit slightly better, you know, balance. But again, it is still a very demanding industry and career. For some students who are maybe looking into going into investment banking or into private equity, Mm -hmm. what are some things that you would suggest focusing on for when they are doing their applications and when they're doing their interviews and when they're assessing firms to not only see if the firm would be a good fit for them or if they would be a good fit for the firm? I think for investment banking recruiting, definitely, except for all the hard skills, you know, you have good grades, you, you have good resume, you have good experience. During the interview process, I would say, be yourself and really be confident and trying to see if it's a good fit between you and the firm and ask, don't 
don't be afraid to ask questions because it's very important for you to, to get to know the person who are interviewing you, to get to know the firm you will be working for. Ask lots of questions and be confident. And for private equity, this is even more important because I think fit is, is very, very important in private equity. As I mentioned, we are a team of nine people and we have seven investment professionals. So it's such a small team. The fit is, it is crucial. That's why in private equity, I think there are more rounds of interviews. And I met with pretty much everybody before um, they, they gave me an offer. And private equity, uh, the fit is it's more important. So again, ask, ask lots of questions. And because the fit is two ways. It's not just the firm interviewing you. It's also you interviewing the firm to make sure you're comfortable with the people you'll be working with. Otherwise, it won't, you don't end up in a difficult spot where, where you actually don't have a good fit with the people you work with. What would you say are ways around getting into these sort of smaller companies for students like mm-hmm. myself or others that don't necessarily have that iBanking background, they don't have the finance background, but they're definitely influential in helping to either support the team in other capacities. Yeah. Networking. How I landed my job at Clear Springs, there I reached out to someone who was a senior associate at Clear Spring, and he used to work at Scotia, and I met him a few times uh, through events at Scotia. So, and I reached out to him when Clear Spring was hiring somebody in 2017. He was actually about to give me my case study and that afternoon, and but he called me. He was like, sorry, man, we really need to hire someone who speaks French. I assume you don't speak French. Because we have an office in Montreal, and we have seen a lot of deal activity. So the team wanted to hire somebody who speaks French um, back then. So obviously that didn't work out. But the year after, in 2018, he reached out to me again. He said, hey, are you still looking? We're hiring again. Then I went through the process, and then I got the job. I think it's very important to network and keep in touch with people in this industry that you're interested in because you never know when an opportunity will come. Because uh, in 2018, what happened was actually he was going to business school. He went to Warden to, to get his MBA. So he left and they need to hire somebody to essentially fill the role. That's how I got the job. So I think just network is, is very important, especially if you think you don't have the traditional background for these type of jobs then it is even more important to talk to the industry people and get your names out there. Okay, cool. Thank you. I like that. And if you don't mind me maybe taking this a step farther, like given the virtual settings, how would some of your recommendations be modified or enhanced? Even as a virtual setting, I actually find it easier to reach out to network people because I've had students who have industry people reach out to me or interested in private equity over the last couple of months. And some people I talked to actually found the same thing because people have been working from home. They have a little bit more time and it, it just simply 15 minutes, 20 minutes or half an hour, just jump on a call with someone. And I think if you write a nice email, most people would accept the, the invite for a call. So I think the virtual environment actually makes it easier to talk to people. I like that outlook. That's a very positive outlook. Thank you for that. You have done so much, like you are just so accomplished. And I, I don't really know if you realize how much we're looking at you, like your LinkedIn profile and are like fangirling from talking to you, but you've accomplished so much. So I hope that, I hope that you are able to recognize that and be proud of your accomplishments. No, thanks for thanks for saying that. I appreciate that. But you no, know, there's one thing I learned from Co-op and MBA is 
there are a lot of smart people and you can always learn something from everyone. So that's, that's one thing I, I take even to this day. Every time I meet someone, every time I work with someone, I, I always try to learn something from someone and be humble. I think that's, that's very important. I like that. I think everyone has this misconception of what people in the space that you're in and with your background are going to be like. And even I have biases around that and talking to you like definitely broke those down. And even some other people, alumni from, you know, the UNFIN program Mm -hmm. have been Mm -hmm. tremendously welcoming and almost urging of women to go into the space and to also transform the space and to care about your life holistically, um, even though, you know, Mm -hmm. there's a very big push for people to work really hard in that industry and, you know, come in and pay their dues and all of these things. There's just so many things at play. So for you to be so candid and honest with us, like that means a lot to us, both of us individually. And it's very, very, very motivating because it's a very intimidating industry to try to get into. It is. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it by saying it is not. And definitely need to work hard in this industry. And I've worked very hard. And I think I definitely pride myself for having good work ethics. But at the same time, like I mentioned, the world is changing and the industry is changing as well. Working hard doesn't, doesn't mean you know, you can't have a, a personal life. Uh, you still, like I said, I still firmly believe you need to take care of yourself first before anything. And also for me, I personally benefit a lot from, you know, talking to the Queens alumni, Quaff alumni. So every time when people reach out to me, uh, I'm more than happy to to give back to help because for me, I benefit exactly from, you know, alumni doing the same thing. Thanks. Thanks so much, Will. Yeah, thank you so much. I would recommend Why We Sleep. Amazing book. <laughs> but I actually... Brenna is the brand, uh, brand ambassador for the author. Okay. Um, I, I, well, I will check it out for sure. Um, but no, the one that actually I thought that you would really enjoy, it's called Spark. It's actually about how doing some like exercise right before doing learning is actually mm-hmm. phenomenal for being able to retain it and process it in, in different ways. So since you run, I was like, oh, you you might actually like that book. I'll write it any, down. Any books that you come across, oh my God, please let me know. I love, I have a reading list of like 400 books. That's definitely, reading is definitely something. I've, I actually bought some books I really want to read, but with the pandemic, with again, having a young baby, but oh, oh, wow, these are all excuses, I guess. But <laughs> I, I definitely need to uh, pick up reading so we'll just to finish, we're going to ask you seven questions. They're going to be rapid fire. So answer with five words or less. Are you ready? Yeah. What would you say you are the most proud of? My family. If you could only have one type of food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Chinese food. <laughs> what gets you out of bed in the morning? Coffee, tea, Bloomberg, or other? Running. Running. There we go. What is more important, IQ or EQ? EQ. What do you do to unwind? Spend time with uh, with my family. What's the last book that you read? Actually, the last book I read, I think, is called The Fifth Risk. Mm, Michael Lewis. Yes. Very good book. Oh, good to know. It's on my list, actually. Finally, what are your words to live by? Hard work pays off. Hard work pays off. There we go. We hope you've enjoyed this session of the Quaff Spotlight Series. Until next time, be well and invest with intent.